Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. I've got a question for you. I'm going to give you one minute, and precisely one minute, to uh, think of this question. It's on the wall behind me, so you can get thinking. With the person next to you, uh, if you had to sum up human experience in just two words, not three, not four, but two, what would you say? Over to you, one minute. Okay. Uh, I want some takers. Uh, how do you, two words, all human experience. YOLO. YOLO. That's, that's either one word or four words. Um, but yeah, thanks for that. Two, two syllables. <laughs> I like that. Good start, though. Well done. Breaking the ice. YOLO. Any other takers? I saw Jan hit Steve. That means Steve's got a really good answer. <laughs> but he's not going to tell us. Anyone else want to give us a, give us a go? It's not. What's that? Jason, that's uh, good. Uh, that's far too general. I, I can't have that one. Yeah, that's the one I wanted, actually. Grr. You might have seen it on the PowerPoint at the beginning when I put it up. Jason, very good. Uh, that is how I would sum it as well. Just so you know, YOLO is as valid as the other answer. There is, there is no correct answer apart from maths being in the equation, I suppose. Um, I would think, I could, if I had to sum up life and uh, uh, human experience in two words, I'd go for those two, like Jason. Uh, life and death. And uh, those words obviously refer to very specific parts of human experience, but those words are also very evocative uh, of something much broader than the specific things they, they talk about. To show you what I mean, let's start with life. Life could be defined, I guess, as the period between one's birth and even conception and the moment their heart stops beating. That's technically life. It could be talked of as existence. Uh, the time when someone is alive, but usually we mean much more by life than that. Life, I think, refers to possibility, potential, and all of the possibility and potential that human experience brings. When we say life, we often think of things like joy, or hope, or purpose, or flourishing. Life often stands for the good things associated with being alive. So that's life on one hand. What about death? Again, death could be just defined as the moment when life stops, when your brain activity stops and your heart stops beating. But again, it means much more than that to us. Death, the opposite of life, like, like literally, but also in the symbolism that's around it. Death is about futility. It's about hopelessness. It's about disappointment, pain, meaningless, despair. And the key problem with human experience, as defined by these two words, is the order that we find them in. It's life and then death. For all the good things that life brings, all the potential and the hope, we know that death, in human terms, on this earth, the way we see it and experience it, has, seems to have the final say. Life sort of flourishes and it pulsates and it, it plans and it celebrates only for death to come along and burst in and bring an end to all of those things, apparently bringing them all to absolutely nothing. Now it's interesting because as we come to the Christian festival of Easter, it's interesting that Easter is summed up by exactly the same two words. It's about the same two things. But there is a subtle and there is an uh, important difference, and it's massive. And it's simply in terms of the order of those two words. Easter is about death and life. 
The same words, exactly the same connotations, but in the opposite order. And that change of order changes everything for us if we will let this story in. It can change our view of life. It can change our view of death. It can change the way we view the personal circumstances that we face. And it can change the way we view even what's going on in our churches at the moment. And so I want to look at these two things, but in the Easter order. And we're not going to shirk away from any of the difficult things, particularly in one of those words, because Easter doesn't shirk away from those uh, difficult things. But as you're going to see from the order, it flips everything on its head. And I think you'll hope you'll find it changes everything. So, um, Sarah, are you... I haven't seen Sarah tonight. I saw John. Sarah, are you ready, for, ready to read this passage? Sarah, up, up you come. I don't have a... Is there a mic? Is there a mic? Oh, uh, you get the special mic. Um, let's look first. You, you're doing Mark, are you? No. Luke. Luke, oh dear. So, sorry. <laughs> We're well planned, sorry. Um, there's a bit of Aramaic thrown in there for fun as well. This is going to be good. Uh, you pass for me for the Aramaic if you wish. I can, uh, the, Sarah, go for it. This it was is, easy. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Sorry. Is this Mark chapter... 31. And this is where we find death in the Easter story. <laughs> At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. Then, at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders misunderstood and thought he was calling for the prophet Elijah. One of them ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, holding it up to him on the reed stick so he could drink. Wait, he said, let's see whether Elijah comes to take him down. Then Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the Roman officer who stood facing him saw how he had died, he exclaimed, this man truly was the Son of God. Some women were there watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James the Younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. They had been followers of Jesus and had cared for him while he was in Galilee. Many other women who had come with him to Jerusalem were also there. Thanks so much, mate. So <laughs> now, here we have it. Um, in this passage, we have death in the story. We know, we know this uh, part of the story. And here we have also not just death, but death at its most deathly, I would say. Death doing what death does. And as I said already, death isn't just the natural process of dying. It carries with it so much more. And here we see three things that often are associated with death in the death of Jesus. The first one is darkness. Beginning of the uh, passage Sarah read, it says, at noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. And the image of darkness and death, those images often go together. An image of the unknown, of confusion, of chaos even. But in this, there's this extra element to this darkness. It's, a, it's an unexpected darkness. It comes in the middle of the day. But not just unexpected, it's completely out of place. It's foreign. It shouldn't be there. And that's the darkness of death in our world. Like pitch darkness in the middle of the afternoon. Things so weird about this is we all know that death is 
in, is, is part of our life. We, we know it's going to happen. We know. We can trot out the cliches. All good things come to an end. What goes up, it must come down. But when it happens, when death invades, it always feels wrong, like darkness in the middle of the afternoon. This is an out-of-place darkness. First thing. Second thing is this. Death makes us feel isolated and alone. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus calls famously uh, from the cross. Jesus, in this statement, um, we we, uh, looked at this on Friday night, and Jude Aiton unpacked this for us. Uh, But there's more to this than just isolation that we feel. There's much more going on. But actually, abandonment and isolation was a key part of Jesus' experience on the cross. He'd been abandoned by his best friends, hadn't he? His very best mate of all had denied that he even knew him. One of his closest friends had actually betrayed him. And in this story, as we heard it, he's got some people who are there at the cross, but where are they? Well, it says they're watching from a distance. They're they're there, but they're not there. And then on the cross itself, Jesus is abandoned by God himself, by his own father. Life, when it's in its fullness, involves company, involves companionship, involves family. Death takes those things away takes away friends, takes away companions, and often it leaves those who are left fearing that isolation awaits for them too. So there's darkness in death, there's isolation in death, there's also hopelessness in death. It brings an end to the hopes. Uh, hopes. Notice what the soldier says here. This man truly was the son of God. I've heard lots of talks on that verse before about how this is the glimmer of hope in the passage. This is this statement of faith among all the other things that are going wrong. But we can only say that because we know what's going to happen. If you were there at this point, imagine you're one of those women, imagine you're Salome, and you overhear that soldier saying, surely he was the son of God. That is not good for you. That is just rubbing it in awfully for you. He was the son of God. It's past tense. He was my hope. He was my joy. He was the one that I put my trust in. He was the one who was going to rescue me. And he was going to rescue my people. And he was going to rescue the whole world. He was. But death's come now. And now that is firmly in the past tense. Leaving nothing but a painful memory. Some people think of Christians as those who shut their eyes to the difficult things in life. Like we're these people who are hopelessly naive and we can't cope with the realities of life. And so we, we hope they go away, but just focusing on the nice and the fluffy things. But the Easter story is not like that at all. No, it stares death firmly in the face and sizes it up in its true horror. We're not, Christ, we're not people as Christians who can say glibly something like, oh, well, she had a good innings. Or, uh, I I don't know, let's try to hold on to the happy memories. Now, we know the pain of death because it lies at the heart of our own story. This may impact us in all sorts of ways this morning. It doesn't just leave us as Easter Sunday comes in. It's still in our lives. You, you, You all know what's around the corner in this story, and we've got to keep those in mind. But you know what? We can't use Easter Sunday to gloss over Good Friday. Because if we do that, we lose the power of Easter Sunday. As I mentioned earlier, we, on Friday, a number of us from different church, central churches and sites, we got together at Central House to focus on the cross, to rest and linger on Good Friday. 
And there was lamentation. And there was repentance. And there were tears. Please understand this as we kind of holler and put our hands up and shout and people get excited and some people sing and all that stuff. Jesus is not wanting to make light of the endings that are happening in your life at the moment. In, in fact, what he wants us to know as we, we think about Easter is that he, he entered our world with its dark and lonely and seemingly hopeless endings, and he knows how much they hurt us. The moment any of you who are part of Church Central West, uh, you'll know this in your own church community that is coming to a close shortly. Some of you, you might already be in an Easter Sunday place. You might be thinking ahead to the future and to what's next and what's around the corner. Some of you might have felt, I hope this is the case, the stirring of sort of faith and even excitement to what might be around the corner. That's fine. If you're there, that's fine. But you know what? There's nothing wrong with lingering in disappointment and loss for a period. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's appropriate and right. And if you're still in that place, you know, that's okay. That's fine. In fact, for some of you, if you didn't linger in that place, maybe you want to go back and think, well, no, there's, there's loss here. Because if we don't understand the loss, we can't understand the life that comes next. So, yeah, Easter is about death. It's about death in all its horror. It really is. But the order is so important. Death does not have the last word in the Easter story. In general human experience... Death swallows life. And that's why it's so terrible. In Easter, the opposite thing happens. This is not life and death. This is death and life. So, hopefully we'll get this one right. Listen to what happens next in the Easter story. Michaela, is, uh, is Michaela here? The piece of paper is the right one this time, isn't it? Yeah, we should have just had two resurrections. That might be, might be after the last few minutes of dourness. You might have preferred that. Go for it. Luke 24, 1 to 8. Thanks, Michaela. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. That the Son of Man would be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. Cheers, thanks. In the Easter story, as we know, death ends in life. And it's a massive surprise in the story itself. These women, they come to the tomb and they're expecting to go through the normal rituals. I mean, what, what are they doing? They're coming to bring spices. What, what is that for? That, that's to kind of cover over the smell of death. There's a sense here and earlier in the story as well that some of the things they, they were bringing might have been to kind of slow down the, the decay of the body, to preserve the body. In both those cases, as we all know, they're really cosmetic things. They're, they're kind of symbolic, but they're not going to do a whole lot. Dead body rots. That's what dead bodies do. But they go there in that way, and it's not what they thought at all. They go to a place of death, which is a place, as we've seen, of darkness, of isolation and hopelessness, and they go just to make the best of a bad situation. But they find life. They find the absolute polar opposite. Instead of darkness... 
You've got these two angels who are there who are shining so brightly that they need to cover, the lady, um, Mary needs to cover her eyes in this case. Instead of darkness, there's light. They go in the middle of, it's almost, the, it's not the middle of the night, it's the crack of dawn, the first thing in the morning. They're going to a lonely, abandoned tomb. What do they find? They find a company of angels there. Instead of hopelessness, he was, surely he was the son of God. Well, what happens is their memories are jogged now. Then they remembered that he had said this. What a wonderful verse to end that passage. The angels say, Jesus is alive. Oh, yeah. I remember it all comes together now. Their memories are jogged and they remembered hope. Yet truly he was the son of God, but truly he still is the son of God. He still is the hope of the world, the hope of Israel and their own hope. Of the increase of his government and peace. I want to remember this bit. There will be no end. There will be no end. Easter people or Christians, as they're more commonly called, uh, are not just people who found a way to kind of cope and hide our way through life and death. Now, we're a people who've faced up to the reality of those things. We've just done it in the reverse order. This obviously changed our attitude to physical death. Obviously, all funerals are hard. All funerals are difficult. All funerals are painful. But I don't know about you. I've been to some Christian funerals, and I've been to some other funerals, and they're different. Very different. It changes our attitude to, to physical death. But it's much more than that. It, it changes our entire approach to all the mini deaths that we encounter through our lives. If we follow Jesus, if we say, I put my trust in Jesus, what we are saying is, one of the things we're saying is, that we trust that every death will be followed by life. That every ending will bring about a new beginning. That all futility... Every bit of futility will be engulfed in purpose. That all despair can give birth to joy. That every disappointment will one day be forgotten in the light of an upcoming delight that is beyond our comprehension. And we don't just see the world like this because it kind of helps us to get by because it's a pretty grim place. No, we see it because we have a God who stepped down into that horrible reality, felt the full force of it, and then flipped the whole thing over on top of its head. And my encouragement to you this Easter Sunday is simple. Put your trust in that God. Let him shape your perspective in line with the wonderful work of his son. Let Jesus change your life and death into death and life. And so to finish... I'm just going to give some space for you to talk to that God. One of the wonderful uh, realities that we live in from Easter Sunday is we now have a God who we don't just remember some things he did a long time ago that were pretty fantastic. No, he's alive so we can talk with him, we can experience him, we can meet with him. And uh, I, mean, I don't know if I'm around over here. Cool. Um, yeah. We're going to sing in a few minutes, but could you do that thing where you might just play for a bit? And then uh, after a while, you know, he's, uh, he's got it. He makes albums and stuff, he knows all this stuff. It's all right. um, but, but before that, what Owen just starts to play, I just wanted to give space for each of you to talk to Jesus. And as we talk to him, uh, we listen to him as well. And you might want to just respond in any way from this morning. It could be thanks, it could be praise. You might want to put some of the deaths that are in your life. Maybe they are still at the forefront of your mind. The losses, the endings. Put those before him. And I've got some sentence starters 
up there. If, if you're struggling, how do I process this? How do I start this? Maybe you've not prayed much before. Why don't you start off with some of these things here? And you know what? Just talk to him. He's alive. He's with us uh, through his Holy Spirit. And he meets with us and he speaks with us. So I only give it just about two minutes, okay? I encourage you, please don't talk among yourselves. If you don't want to get involved, absolutely fine. But just talk to Jesus and listen to Jesus. In a couple of minutes, we're going to stand and we're going to sing one last song. Go for it.